0: Hi, I'm Cam Bennett from UCSSC Lake Jenindera and welcome to episode 7 of the Canberra Classroom, a podcast in which educators share what's happening in teaching and learning in Canberran schools. Today's show is about therapy dogs and the positive influences they can have when introduced into a school in a considered and evidence-based fashion. Soon I'll be joined by Dr. Christine Grovet of Monash University, who is one of the academics at the forefront of research on therapy dogs in education. And this will be followed by a conversation with teacher Christina Refshorge from Curtin Primary School, who is the handler of Bentley, the therapy dog who has become an important member of Christina's classroom, as well as the broader school community. But first, a quick word from one of Canberra's students. Hi, I'm Richard Moya, and I'm in Year 12 at Lake Jinindara College. One of my favourite classes is Physics with Alan Lyle. This is because it's really engaging and it helps me to understand the world around me. Dr. Christine Grove is an educational and developmental psychologist and a senior lecturer from Monash University, and she's joining me on the phone to talk about one of her key research interests, which is the use of therapy dogs in educational settings. Thanks so much uh, for taking some time to have a chat with me today, Christine.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: So obviously, I'm I'm most keen to talk to you about the research base that exists and, and is continuing to develop around therapy dogs in education, but first, uh, we should make sure that everyone has a really clear understanding as to what a therapy dog is. Um, I suspect that most people are familiar with service dogs or sort of guide dogs. Can you start by explaining how a therapy dog is different to a service dog or a guide dog?
1: Yeah, absolutely, because they um, they definitely are different, um, and often people who um, aren't in this space or in this field um, do mix them up or think they are the same. Um, so therapy dogs are, um, usually have a trained handler, so it might be a healthcare professional, a parent, a caregiver, um, or it could be a teacher as well, or, or a professional working in specific settings like schools, hospitals, even in um, court cases as well. One of our studies looked at the impact of therapy dogs in in court in courts. Um, and so the, the main difference then is the service dog is actually for someone or a person with a disability or a health care condition. So they're used and they're trained uh, for different purposes from the beginning and they're used by different types of people as well. So service dogs also are usually allowed um, legally in all places because they are to support someone to see or to hear or identify if they're having a stroke or um, if they're you know having a diabetes. Um, so circumstance where they need additional help, um, whereas the therapy dog is usually used for therapeutic purposes, um, so they're used you know, as a form of support um, in psychological intervention or with reading for students who might be a bit worried or anxious, um, so they, they have very different purposes.
0: Yeah, cool. And, and how are therapy dogs traditionally used in schools?
1: Well, it's very new, so um, when we say traditionally, um, I wouldn't <laughs> be going back, you know, um, like 30 years or something, I'd yep. probably be saying in the last five years or so, it's really taken off, um, and what we're seeing is a lot of um, lack of evidence-based approaches when therapy dogs are being used in schools, so we actually see them um, being used usually uh, maybe to support a classroom or uh, the wellbeing team might have a have therapy dog, but that's in a school that might already have a framework to to implement a therapy dog in that way, how we see it a lot being used is the cute dog, you know, school cute dog, and that's its purpose, Um, which actually that is not the main goal of a therapy dog program, um, which is to support students or the school well-being teams. Um, per se, so traditionally they use um, without really a strong um, guideline or framework, and that's what our research is seeking to do to try and address that challenge. So I would like to see more, I guess, um, frameworks and guidelines and school-wide approaches um, if a therapy dog is to be used in a school setting, um, because it's not just bring your dog, your pet dog, to work. Um, It actually needs to be part of the fabric of the school, but through guidelines and policy.
0: Yeah, great. And so uh, can you tell us a bit about uh, what research does exist, firstly, in terms of the the benefits that that therapy dogs can have when they're used, you know, uh, appropriately in the school setting?
1: Um, Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So we are lacking, and I'll just preface what I'm saying, we are lacking sort of long-term, longitudinal Randomised control trial studies in the space and so that would be the best level of research evidence to show us um, How effective a program is for example, um, in terms of evaluation um, So that that's really interesting uh, because we obviously want to see if these types of therapy dog programs do have long-term Benefits um, over time, you know, let's say through throughout a full year or, or two years um, You know of impact. Yeah. So we, we do need more studies in that space But what we do know from some of the research that we're doing is um, um, Linda Henderson and myself uh, do evaluation-based research where we look at um, therapy dog programs um, and we evaluate them. So we've done that for the um, Department of Justice in New South Wales across all of their courts, and that was a huge sample um, of vulnerable um, you know, victims going to court as well as perpetrators as well. So looking at their therapy dog program they have there across New South Wales. And then we worked with the Department of Education in Victoria and looked at their therapy dog program that they use with, Um, their support services team that go across a particular region. Um, And then we're currently now evaluating um, a therapy dog program for foster kids to help them re-engage in education if they are struggling to connect back with school. And what we found across these programs, um, using um, pre-post-mixed method studies, that they are incredibly um, effective in reducing anxiety and stress um, for students who are really struggling to um, cope at school. We have also found an increase in engagement in in education, so they're more likely to go to school and connect with their school um, if there's a therapy dog present or as part of um, their intervention plan to be at school or come back to school.
0: It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? And you may not have answers to uh, a couple of my questions because you don't have the, the broader research base yet, but do you have any sense that um, either... Therapy dogs are more valuable to some of the more um, anxious or potentially um, less engaged students than they are to the average student who walks through the door.
1: One or two things that are really, you know, that's really big with students who are uh, who have experienced trauma or are almost at risk um, is struggling to trust adults or you know, um, healthcare professionals, yeah. you know, particularly with adolescents and teenagers, they are less likely to seek help from professionals. Um, and actually, that is the age where it's most critical. We do see mental health challenges um, start um, being diagnosed around age 14, 15. Um, and so that is a really critical period to support um, young people. We do know that because of the non-judgmental um, approach that dogs have, of course, you know, they don't judge you, they're there, they're always happy to see you, they're always there, very cuddly trained to connect with you without judgment um, and support as well so that kind of setup, up um, that sense of connection um, and rapport building is what our research has found to be really effective in engaging um, at-risk young people because often they've gone through many assessments um, they've gone through a few homes or their families are broken down um, and so being able to connect uh, with the dog and, and um, have that as part of the treatment approach has shown to be effective Yeah. for, for at-risk kids
0: Are there any other hunches that you have or any other sort of anecdotal evidence that you're aware of of any other benefits that you think that uh that the dogs can bring to a to a school or to students
1: um, really interesting you say that because there's heaps of that evidence at the moment, um, actually. So if you do read any sort of you know, impacts of therapy dogs, you read a lot of people's um, sharing their sort of case studies, I guess, their, their own experiences with therapy dogs. Um, my, my hunch will be, given COVID-19 um, and students really struggling to get back into routines, in particular in Victoria, well, I think therapy dogs will be really helpful in these sorts of settings. We have seen them used... Um, in America a lot to help students re-engage in schools where they've had a trauma, so either a, su- a suicide or um, a, you know, a shooting, a school shooting, mm. and therapy dogs have been really instrumental in changing um, the sort of sense of connection in the school and safety within that school setting, um, and so being able to use therapy dogs in that way, in a school-wide way, in, in particular areas where we are seeing high levels of trauma, um, I think I have a really you know strong hunch that that's going to be quite beneficial moving forward. In particular with the study we did with the department and we saw how therapy dogs were used in critical incidences um, and measuring the effectiveness of that um, we found to be incredibly helpful having that support there for students who do want to engage um, when they're ready as well. And, you know, just a reflection of when I used, because um, I've trained my dog Bronson to be a therapy dog, when I used him in schools, um, kids were more likely to say, oh, well, I'll go down and see Bronson, the therapy dog, than, oh, I'll go down and see Christine, the school psychologist. Yeah, you know? yeah. So there was way more, way more um, less stigma around coming down to the wellbeing team, um, you know, with the dog there as well. So that first step of engagement for youth is is critically important for, for mental health support, and I think dogs are really going to help us um, re engage and connect with kids um, post and, and
0: during the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. And you can, you can just see and sense all of the potential that's there, can't you? The um, yeah. If we have um, teachers or if, if you were to have um, teachers or uh, psychologists or any people working in a school, would you have any particular advice to them in terms of um, things they need to think about before they introduce a dog into their educational setting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, great question. So we, um, Linda and Maya's research alongside this, those evaluations has been to create a needs-based assessment um, because not all schools actually need a therapy dog, um, and it's quite a big investment uh, as well. So, for example, who looks after the dog, makes sure it has breaks, um, ensures the dog's well-being as well at school, um, and is you know uh, has a strong relationship with that dog. Um, it can't. It's not advised that the dog is used across. Across, um, you know professionals like teachers or um, well-being mm. coordinators and that actually has one handler that um, oversees the dog so making sure that those kind of guidelines are implemented if a therapy dog is needed in the school so yeah, I'm happy for anyone to email Linda and I we can you know, email through the needs-based assessment as well as some guidelines that we've just published um, for schools to check out and see um, if they're even need a dog um, and if it would be beneficial or helpful um, as well to implement a dog too.
0: Fantastic and, and alongside that I guess uh, are you, I'm trying to work out how to sort of phrase this question, um, have you found that there are uh, common barriers that perhaps are in place for people who feel that a, a dog is um, appropriate for introducing into their school?
1: good question. Uh, there are definitely a bunch of barriers um, as well to consider as part of that needs risk assessment. So when you do the, the needs assessment and identify that maybe your school does need a dog or would be beneficial to have a dog here, then undertaking a thorough risk assessment as well. So what are the demographics in our school? Um, you know, Is it are dogs accepted across, would, would the dog be accepted across our school community as well? So that's wider than just the students. Um, so informing parents and, and letting the community know that there will be a dog being introduced in, you know, what way and how in the school as well is important. So that's part of the communication um, that comes out of the risk assessment. Um, Are there students who have allergies or who have dog phobias and fears? Um, And so building that into the risk assessment um, as well for having a therapy dog and using it in the school Um, and then communicating that out to the community and the wider school community as well. So students um, as well as all all teachers and and parents and families Um, and then actually implementing the dog in, in practice and how it will be used, um, and ensuring that those students who are scared of dogs you know, are aware of exactly how the dog will be used um, as well. And if there are allergies, managing that through the risk assessment um, is important. Then uh, from that process, um, we have also developed a policy framework uh, to support schools of exactly what is our policy around using this therapy dog in our setting that's based on the needs of our students. Um, And so then using a a policy framework to support this implementation um, is really important. And the reason why I'm so hot on guidelines, assessments, um, (laughs) and programs uh, is because Linda and I have seen how much therapy dogs are used incorrectly in school settings um, and how expensive they are to implement as well. So having them and ensuring that they are following, you know, standardised evidence based guidelines um, is is critically important for their success.
0: That's a really cool answer that one I think. Um because sorry, it's very long. No, no, I think I think I think it's really good because um because I think it is really important for people to understand that there really is um uh, there is genuine thinking and, and evidence behind all of this, as you say, instead of it's not just taking a cute dog into school.
1: Exactly, or taking your pet to work kind of day. Yeah, that's Um, right. Which is often what happens. So um, we have the sort of three categories, a therapy dog, um, service dog, and then your pet. Yeah, um, and that's very different to taking a therapy dog versus a pet to, to school and using it in the classroom. Because all therapy dogs have to have gone through training, um, you know, and accredited through a process, so they're safe, um, able to engage with you know vulnerable young people too. So if they do, um, you know, react to the dog, that the dog doesn't react or respond um, at all in an adverse way. So there has to be guarantees around the dog's behaviour, um, as well as how the handler will manage that dog's behaviour too.
0: At Curtin Primary School, with Christina Refshauge, who is the handler for Bentley, her therapy dog. Thank you so much for having a chat to me about therapy dogs. Oh, good. So, before I ask you about the role that Bentley has at the school, um, a huge amount of training goes in to um, to a therapy dog. Can you take us through exactly what all that involves?
2: Sure. So, it actually all started with a very careful choice of breeder and um, breed if you will. He is a cross crossbreed. Um, he is a Grudel, so he's a Golden Retriever cross with a Poodle. And I chose this breed because of the hypoallergenic qualities, but also because Golden Retrievers are known, um, very intelligent dogs and so are Poodles, but also the Retriever qualities lend themselves to therapy dog work beautifully. So I researched the breeder and I spoke to her about the qualities that I was looking for in a puppy. And so I didn't just get any puppy I got a puppy that had the best possible chance of being successful in this role. There were no guarantees. um, But when this puppy in his litter of eight was offered food, um, the other puppies ran to the food and my puppy ran to the person. So that was an indicator that he was very people-orientated. So it started with that. So then I got a phone call saying, much quicker than I expected, I have to say, there was a minor panic around how quickly I had to turn things around for a puppy. that they, she thought I had a puppy that would be um, good at the role and turns out she was absolutely on the money. <laughs> His training started the second he came home and I'm not talking about formal training but I'm talking about being social. So he came with me to pick up a friend from the bus station where there are lots of buses and loud noises and rolling suitcases. He came here when he was about 12 weeks old just in my arms just to see the children. In fact, to the point where when I brought him back about six months later, they didn't believe it was the same dog because he had grown so much. But um, it started really early. I then got him into puppy school at nine weeks, just at the vet. And from that point, I started searching for formalized training. And I tried to get him into our local dog club, but I missed the boat. They are very full a lot of the time. And I was grateful that gel, that pause to play, took us on. an eight-week stint just so that i didn't have eight weeks of no training so i did that and then i just did the rest through narabunda act companion dog club where we started out foundation and then we did consolidation then we did graduation and now we're in companion levels which is quite high level obedience so there's four or five levels and we're about four four and a half five we're actually at the top and the reason i did that is because i thought If he can pass these levels, even though some of that real formal obedience stuff I don't need, I don't really want, I don't use, if he can pass that, then he will be safe around kids, he'll be safe around anyone because he will respond and listen to me. Turns out I was right. When we assessed, um, we had no problems with the assessment. We passed pretty much full marks and I was very grateful for that two and a half bit more years of formal training um, every week so I think when he started we had done about 200 hours of formal training and that doesn't include our at-home training that doesn't include our one-on-one sessions so a lot of hours
0: (laughs) (laughs) and how do you know you might not know is there a moment within that where your dog actually reaches a stage where they are allowed to be sort of certified as a therapy dog
2: they suggest so, for example, if you did Delta, Delta Dogs, which is the sort of volunteer organizations that you can get therapy dog as a Delta dog, they suggest they wouldn't allow them into a school or anywhere from about 18 months because they're kind of at that adolescent stage where they kind of think they know everything but actually are really difficult. Yeah. Um kind of like human adolescence. <laughs> um but no, I really thought in my head when I had a nine month old Bentley, he'll be in at 18 months, no worries. Absolutely not. He was not ready. He could have come in at two two and a half years maybe. It was me that held him back. And I held him back because I wanted to be absolutely certain that he was ready. Um, but also three years old for a therapy dog, people would say is quite young. Mm-hmm. Because he's still just out of that puppy stage. He is young and exuberant and he's a big boy. You've seen him, he's big. Yeah. So, you know, he ha- you know, he is still quite a young dog to be working in the way that he is. You'll often hear them four, five, six, seven, eight um, when they hit that sort of real calm, you know, stride. Yep. Um, so he's young, but he is ready because he's done all that training. We have worked together as a team um, and we spend a lot of time honing those skills.
0: Yeah, sure. And so you're a classroom teacher yeah. and his handler. So what role does he play with you now at school?
2: Yeah, it's it's an evolving role because we're learning how to – Um, best utilise Bentley and keep me as a class teacher and um, impact whole school, which is a challenge because, you know, when you're on class, you're on class. And so my class, um, obviously spend most of the time with him. He is off leash in the classroom and he just lives life alongside them. He will listen to my students read every day. He listens to individual students that need extra practice read every day and that has been a game changer because – they either say, hey, can I read with Bentley as opposed to, oh, I don't want to do reading because, you know, it's probably really hard, you know, to can I read with Bentley and if it's not a Bentley day, it's can I practice reading so that on Thursday I can read this to Bentley. So it's been an absolute game changer for children wanting to read. It's also not scary because it's just this guy here, he just sleeps and he just (laughs) looks at the pictures and thinks they're fantastic. It doesn't matter to them if they make a mistake. He doesn't know. Like he just Yeah loves it. So he just lives alongside life. He sits and has his name taken on the roll. He comes to our math scripts, he does our spelling groups, he just lives life alongside the children. And that is in itself one of the most beautiful things I think I've witnessed. I try to get out for duties before school and I try to spend some time out junior school and then senior school so that they get even. And for the first time this term, which is why it's evolving. So the first term I didn't do this this term I have an hour off every week where I visit classrooms Mm -hmm. and I walk him around the school um, and I visit classrooms which has been awesome too Um, so that I get to see lots of kids and he gets to interact with all the children which is really fun we have had discussions around what we could do and it all takes staffing and time and that's the hard thing about schools is also, people powered. Yeah. And we talk about, you know, doing a morning of books with Bentley with kids that maybe are reluctant readers to come and spend from eight to nine o'clock would be one of my duties. And they'd come and read to the dog and just sit in a nice warm classroom, have a cup of Milo, and read to the dog.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, we might even do breaks with Bentley. Like, you know, if we can see that children are having a really hard morning, my duty might be a recess time where they come and sit with Bentley and just have that chill out, that, that padding stuff, so that we don't have an escalation. It can sort of prevent problems before they start but this is all like possibles Mm. we are just playing it by ear and one of the best advice that I got is don't try to do it all at once because I'll burn out yeah my dog will burn out so we just have to tiptoe and at the moment just the fact that he's here is having such a positive impact that we can just do that slowly we don't have to rush it all and I think every school will do it differently and be different based upon the needs of the school but right now that's just like living alongside the kids, being outside on duties, going to find children that maybe are finding it hard, being available when needed. That's the other thing too. It's like I do a little courtyard duty for some of children that just need extra love. Mm. And that's fine. And we do that and that's my duties, yeah. which is cool. But it's just it's evolving game and it will evolve as our children evolve and our needs evolve.
0: Yeah. And I'll get to some – you've implied a whole heap of benefits that he's bringing already.
2: Yeah.
0: I was kind of going to ask – I realized that I was going to ask the wrong question. I was kind of going to ask, like, which of the kids who respond best to him? Yeah. That's probably not the right question because you might have lots of kids who don't need lots of the benefits that he can bring who still respond really positively oh, to him. Is the better question, like – who are the kids or what kinds of kids do you find he has the greatest impact with?
2: Good question. I think in varying respects and what's visible, like I think that's hard to answer because for some children it's really visible because they'll tell you, yeah. oh, I'm so excited, it's Thursday or, you know, why did you have to, I got I was sick last week, why were you sick on a Thursday, you know, like because I have... Control over this, right? (laughs) But why can't you be sick on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? Because Mondays and Thursdays are Bentley days, you know. Like, you know, is that real? I'm hanging out for Mondays and Thursdays because on Mondays and Thursdays he comes. So one of the reasons I targeted Mondays was attendance, Mm -hmm. getting kids to school. Because if we can get kids to school on a Monday, then it sets us up for a week. Yeah. But if we miss a Monday, if they come on Tuesday, still wonderful, and we'll hopefully keep them. But They've missed that really crucial day to set them up for their week of learning. So that's part of the reason that we always targeted Monday. Um, So I think it does vary, but it could even be those children that are terrified of dogs. Like this is always the question we get. What about those kids that are terrified of dogs? Yeah, for some children in some countries, dogs are weapons, hmm. right? So fair call. I have, you know, there are children here that have been hurt by dogs, um, chased by dogs, bitten by dogs, right? Fair enough to feel scared. If it means that they start to overcome that fear, that in itself is massive. I had a child today for the very first time in her life at 12 years old has touched a dog. Mm. And she was like beyond proud of herself. And she said, it feels like a cloud. <laughs> and that's what he does feel like. a It feels like touching a cloud because he's so soft. But that for her is massive. She's not going to run a mile when she sees a dog walking towards her, yeah. coming on you know, on a walk or something. And one in three Canberra households own dogs. So for a child that is scared of dogs, that's a really big impact that they mightn't go to their friend's birthday party because they have a dog. So if they even have a way of approaching a dog safely or know that not all dogs are to be feared, Mm -hmm. that's a huge change in their life, even if it's not the reading level or the attendance level or the engagement level, that still is a massive impact. So I think I've had, since Bentley started coming, even as a soft entry, I counted about 25 children that had never, or terrified of dogs, that had never touched a dog, that are now patting Bentley regularly mm-hmm. and happy to see him and excited to see him and run to him, which is huge. Um, but I think in different ways it impacts every single one of them positively. We even have some children that due to their religion cannot touch dogs, but... One of them said to me today, just the fact that I can see him looking really happy makes me happy. And so I think it doesn't even have to be about touch. It's about a presence. It's about another living creature that they are bonded with that is so impartial, empathetic, non-judgmental that it doesn't require a lot. It's just a presence. And even if he turns up twice a week, he turns up twice a week for 40 weeks. That does make an impact, yeah. massive impact. So yeah. I think some it's really visible, as as invisible, but just as important.
0: Yeah, and and where all the were all the benefits that you're seeing, ones that you were expecting.
2: Some the reading levels I had hoped, the reading stuff I had really hoped because I'd read all the research. I was yeah. like, oh, that'd be so amazing. And I'm like, I don't, I, I understand it because he's just a nice. He's just nice to be around, but really he lies there and just stares at them lovingly, (laughs) like like, actually like how amazing would humans be if we could have the same effect. He just loves the fact that they're reading and, you know, so I had hoped that one – some of the other stuff of just the pure joy when he does something ridiculous, like Mm -hmm. today he had a wonderful time just rolling on the carpet over there because they'd eaten recess in here, it's raining. And so it had all great smells, and he was just rolling on the carpet. And I had somebody, like, tears dripping down their face with laughter. Like, right? Like, I can't do that. I am not that funny. Yeah. (laughs) So that in itself will be a lasting memory for that person, and all he did was roll on the ground. (laughs) But it's things like that. Like, it's just so natural that that's what blew me away the most. You know, I can put in place all my plans or whatever, but actually – the best thing I've done is actually let him just be him. Yeah. And I had a trainer once because he does love a roll, loves to roll. I had a trainer. I was trying to train him out of doing that here. I just I don't mind if he does it in the grass outside or whatever. Mm. And the trainer said to me, why are you training him out of that? And I said, because he's a therapy dog. He shouldn't. And she goes, what do kids do when he sees that? Like they laugh. She's like, why would you train him out of it? Yeah. I was like, that's a really good point. Yeah. I, I need to think of it differently. Like he's not harming anyone. He's having a lovely time. His joy is spreading joy. going to let that one go. Yeah. That's the one that I'm not going to worry about. But um, I, in my head, I was like, oh, he can't. He must He must be absolutely perfect. The fact that he does make mistakes sometimes, like um, today I asked him to sit, and he was like, mm, really rather prefer to lie down, actually. <laughs> so he laid down, and I said, Bentley, sit. He's just like. No, nah, <sighs> like I think I'm gonna lie down. I was like, Oh dear, Bentley hasn't got his listening ears on today. So do you ever does that ever happen to you when you leave your listening ears at home? you are like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's okay. He's pretty good most of the time and so you've got to think of it like that for you. You know, if you have a bad day, you think, Well, most of the time I have pretty good days, it's just a moment in time. So actually that is perfect for teaching moments for well being mm. and for um self image. That everyone makes mistakes. My therapy dog who is highly trained well-behaved does all the right things didn't actually want to see it but that's a teaching moment right mm. there and I didn't orchestrate that he orchestrated that and it was fantastic because later that day when one of them had a moment said oh I haven't we ears like Bentley today I was like yep come yep. back with yours tomorrow please <laughs> <laughs> you know but that was beautiful it was a beautiful way around that problem
0: yeah and you would end up with just endless examples of that sort of thing absolutely um so when I was talking to Christine Grove who's you know at the forefront of the yeah. research of all of this yeah. stuff, she was talking about how her hope and the hope of her fellow researchers is that when more therapy dogs are brought into schools that a school will have, whether it's policies or frameworks or guidelines right. to help with both the introduction of the dog into the school, but also with the communication between the school and the school community. Yes. Can you sort of take us through? I guess it's a two-part question. Can you take us through what you did? Yeah. And can you also potentially, you know, what might you have done differently? differently
2: yeah. So um, overall, I'm pretty happy with how we did it because it's been a very successful um, entry to our school. When I did my formalized training, which I was assessed and trained through Therapy Dogs Australia, which is a Queensland-based Australian um, assessing group and company, um, it was a six-day course of how what to look for in dog behavior, how to use the dog, dogs for animal-assisted interventions if you're an OT, speechy, um, physio, things like that, or AAE, which is animal-assisted education, which is obviously what I'm looking at doing. And so ways around how to use the dog to teach emotional regulation, um, teaching using the dog to teach with the reading and things like that, which was amazing and such fantastic five-day course I did that in August of last year which resulted in the sixth day which is the assessment day and so one of the things that they spend a lot of time on is the importance of having being trained having insurance separate insurance to your provider like some some places can manage to put the dog underneath the school's insurance policy because we're governments a little bit harder so I just actually went separate I have a whole separate um, public indemnity and Um, liability insurance, Mm -hmm. which I could only get with my certificate. Um, They talk about having a risk assessment in place, policies. um, I've obviously done animals in schools, which is an ACT education um, expectation if you have an animal in schools. That one was interesting because not much of it actually related to us. I still did it because they're really looking at animals that are on site.
0: Okay. That stay on
2: site. So we're looking at chickens, you know, turtles in classrooms, fishes in classrooms, whatever, right? Not a dog that comes in and then leaves again. So, I still did it, but um, I kind of didn't fit the boxes, if that makes sense. Um, and so having all of that as a segue to that therapy dogs Australia, there is another um side um organisation called Therapy Dogs in Education, and they have um, consent forms, which um, consent forms, risk assessment um policies, frameworks, things like that. And they actually can work alongside the school, for a fee, (laughs) alongside the school to create what you need. Mm -hmm. Now, I got her to help me, her name's Amy, to help me with the initial consultation. She also had a conversation with myself, Maren, my principal, and mary Ann, my deputy. We had a, um, a conference discussion around how it would look, bringing it in, and had some really insightful things around what we have to have considerations for with working with a dog things like day like today with the rain not ideal both of us have spent the day wet because we had to go outside the bathroom you know it's not an ideal day um had it not been a public holiday on monday he may have been asked to stay home i might have kept him home today but he didn't come in on monday so we i pushed for today yeah but yes they were very very like clear like you need to have this it protects you it protects your school it protects your children, mm. and if you have thought through all of this, then you know you have got a really clear understanding. Everyone is clear on what the dog's role is, your role is, and what happens if this happens. What are we going to do if this happens? There have been days when I've been like, you know, it starts raining, and I'm like, you know, he's going home at lunchtime.
3: Yeah. So for that
2: to happen, if I'm lucky enough to have family who are really, really able to come and collect him at school, otherwise, someone would cover my class. Well, I drop him home. Mm. Like it's things like the school has to be on board entirely to work around another living creature that does not necessarily play by human rules um, to make it work. And it has to be an agreed, this is, we're going to just make it work like, mm, yeah. for it to work. Um, but it took a lot of meetings, a lot of discussions, a lot of um, soft entries. And I was very grateful to have that training so focused on that because it meant that we were really clear and yeah. really clear. And my, I had, I have sent out 575 consent forms for people to interact with, with Bentley, the dog. So, and that's just extra cover, mm. really. And, I, you know, I think we have the children that don't have it back, not that they're not allowed or don't want it, they just haven't brought it back and I keep encouraging them. But I think we've got like about 300 overnight. Like the buy-in was instantaneous. And the ones that took a little bit longer might have been like, oh, We want to, but they're a bit nervous, you know. It's like, that's okay, but signing it means that you have the option, right? Not signing it means if I went to that classroom, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm going to need you to look with your eyes, not with your hands today, you know. So, it just provides options. It doesn't mean the child has to take it up. Mm. The child has choice always. I mean, the ones the we don't have most of our preschools, but our preschools are off-site. So, that's a bit different yeah Um, whereas the kids that are here always go home and talk about him so the the buy-in was pretty quick um so yeah that's we did a lot of work around that formality side of it Mm. um and you know we had to send it all into the department and um you know wait for the okay from legal and all of that sort of thing but we did it and we would i'd do it again if i had to do it (laughs) i'm hopeful that my i'm pretty sure my permission slips are while the child's at school. <laughs> I yeah. don't have to get 525 again next year. <laughs> I think that's what I've organised, but I have to check that.
0: <laughs> and did you find any real barriers in your way?
2: No, we had one family that initially said no, and it was a year three students, not well, teaching three, and it was actually originally in my class. Mm-hmm. And the child was terrified. Um, and we just said, you know what, fair, completely understand, but they, were sort, of, they sort of said, you know, we actually really don't want that person, that child, that child to be that terrified. Like mm-hmm. we don't want that. Um, but at the moment, it's just too much. We're like, yeah, actually, being in my class it would be too much. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we just made a nice um, friendship sh- shift yep. between classes. And although that little person has not yet touched him, she also doesn't want a mile seeing him. Yeah. So that's massive. Yeah. Um, and it will come in time. It will happen in time. And that once we had had that discussion, um, the family signed. But um, after that, no. I've only had real positive feedback um, or nothing. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, looking into the future with him is what's happening now, which obviously is going brilliantly. And you're just going to get new kids in yeah. to have the same experiences with him. Yeah. Or do you see other things which you know you'd like to really bring in or try yeah. with him?
2: Good question. I at the moment because I love being on class, um, I still will see him. As a mainly having a class that would have the most exposure to him. Yeah. Because I don't want to come off class. But I guess when we look at our classes, we might look at who would, who would, ben- maybe it's about reading, maybe who would benefit most from having a dog to read to in the classroom. Like who, how can we, like we've also planned our, like the 3s have planned so that we have a rotation of children coming through with me. Like we don't all just do it in our own classes. So we have spelling groups, yep. math groups, reading groups together so we can get as many children. Benefiting from having him on my and Thursdays as possible, mm. so uh, I used to walk him um, as a passion project around curtain. Yeah, just taking him for walks with children that maybe just need to get out of the lunch, like um, get out of the playground for a lunchtime.
3: Yeah,
2: or just need to stretch their legs, or just need a bit of extra activity. I'll walk the ridge with them. That's fine. Like we can go for a walk. Mm. Things like that. It can be really creative, and it doesn't actually have to be much at all. Sometimes they just People that are having a hard time, they just come and take and I hang out. So, yeah, <laughs> come yeah. on in. There's a nice couch there. You'll probably get a dog. <laughs> yeah. you know? But that's fine. Like, I think it just has to be um, evolve, And what we can manage with staffing is mm. another big thing. It's what we can manage to do and cover. Because, you know, when you're on class, you've got to do your job as a classroom teacher too. So, yeah. it's, it's, um, it, I can definitely see how teachers get that have the dogs, the handler of the dogs can get caught on doing so much because you want to be able to support anyone that needs the support and if the dog is going to make the difference, then you want to be able to say, yeah, I'll be there. Just do something with my 20 children. You know, like <laughs> but you can't. I've got 20 children. So sometimes like, it it does mean that I can get covered or I can go and sometimes it just means that, you know, if they can come here, great. Otherwise, I'll have to be on class. So it, it's just... It's just going to be an evolving thing. The amount of children that I interact with because he's, they're coming to see him, I interact with every child in this school mm-hmm. because of him. And that's really cool too because I'm another person in their world now that if they were having a bad day, lost, stuck, and they saw me, that I'm another person in their world that they would know and trust and have a connection to. But you, I do encourage you to do it properly and get trained and actually have a certificate because if anyone questions you, you can say that I have an organisation that is not biased to me, has said my dog is safe to be around children and my dog is safe and has trained and will listen to me.
0: And that's the show for today. Thanks once again to Dr Christine Grove and Christina F. Shorge for being a part of the Canberra Classroom. And before we hear from another student, if you have an idea for a future episode, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you'd like to share something that is happening in your school, or if you'd like to learn about an aspect of teaching and learning that others across town might know about, please feel free to email suggestions through. As with all podcasts, please help promote and keep this one going by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes or on whatever other platform you may be using. See you next time. Hi, I'm Melissa, and I'm in Year 7 at Canberra High School. One of my favourite classes is Food Tech with Paul Kinsella because I get to eat whatever I make. The Canberra Classroom is a product of Lake Ginandera College. The podcast's graphic design is by Dana Packham and her fellow teacher, Brent Greer, manages the media and marketing. Year 12 student Jackson Bryant created the original theme music. Your host is teacher Cam Bennett, who flips his classroom at www.openingclass.com.